Hi, Nicole. Hi. And welcome to the Business Growth Mindset Podcast. We are focusing on top achievers in this series, and I'm really delighted to have you here. And I'll tell you why I'm delighted to have you here. Not only are you an incredibly busy mum with two children, you're a founder of a very large executive recruitment business. You've got lots of stuff. I'm going to get you to talk about that. Um, but also you're doing a whole bunch of really interesting things and I really want to know what makes Nicole Underwood tick and that's kind of why we're here today. So welcome. Nicole, why don't you, before we dive really deeply into today's podcast, why don't you share with us a little bit about who you are, what you do and then we'll write a little probe around business as well and okay. see See, see where we go from there. Okay, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, so, my pleasure. Um, so, look, I think in terms of who I am, I mean, I'm just, I'm a country girl. I grew up in uh, the Barossa Valley and um, had a very, um, I had a great childhood. Both my parents are school teachers, so hard workers, that whole value around hard work and you make your own success was, um, was very much instilled from a very early age with them. So, um, that whole country upbringing you know in the first town I grew up in there was only 100, 100 people in that town so wow. yeah it was you know real what country. town was that? Canberra it's kind of in the okay. it's in between the Barossa and the um, River Murray so it's kind okay. of on the plains beautiful so yeah first 10 years of my life was there and I went to the area school when both my te- both my parents were teachers at the school right. um, and when I got to year five we moved to the Barossa Valley and I did all my schooling there but you know it was very much a country upbringing so um, I was, I would say from an early age, um, it was my dad in my family who I would say was the true feminist in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was the one who championed um, independence and he wanted me to grow up with the idea of, you know, making it for myself. I was never to rely on a man or, you know, getting married or anything like that. That's what we were like talking that. about just before with my daughter that I'm trying to teach her. <laughs> right. I love so, this. So That's what we instantly relate. Now right. I get it. So it was all about... He was advocating for me to make my own way yeah, in the world. Right. Um, you know, and even thinking back now, there were some funny rules around, you know, I wasn't allowed to get married until I was 26. And, you know, like you just had these little, you know, little How old were you when you got married? 26. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> so you really did little girl. I just, you know, yeah, I have to, have to please, please your father. Yeah. Um, but my mum was also a significant role model because she worked throughout my childhood as a school teacher. So even when we were really young. Um, so I guess for me, I never really thought any differently about... Um, the role models in your house, whether you know your dad was this or your mum was that, both were super hardworking um, teachers. So both, the way I saw it is they both contributed equally. So for me, there was never any. Yeah, I didn't think any differently about being a working person or a mum or you know you could do it all. Um, so I would say that whole upbringing <clears throat> really contributed to my. I guess strong independence and that whole accountability, like I'm in charge of my own success. That's really interesting because um, I could see I could see where I could see how that would be a significant influence. I I had similar, you know, my, my father was a workaholic, and uh, even pre in his diplomatic work, and then later in transitioning into the, my mother's family business. Yeah. And uh, and I think that you do carry that. Yeah. I'm not sure it carries for every sibling though. Um, you know, like me and my brother are very, very different. Um, but I guess for him, my parents got divorced right at that age when he was yeah. 12. So he didn't really get to see that. Yeah. So it's really interesting. Do you, do you have siblings? Yeah, I have an older sister. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And is she the same? 
Um, no, you, you're right. It is different. Yeah, I mean, she's a physiotherapist. She, yeah. you know, lives in Brisbane and she's got a family. I, yeah, we are quite different, actually. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because yeah. I, I, I'm always. I mean, even before we were on the podcast, we we're talking about yeah. how much I love to just. I love to know what makes people tick. And yes. Why we why we get from here to here? Mm. I mean, yeah, you know, and, and a lot of people always say to me, Christian. But aren't you a business advisor and strategist? And I'm like, like, yeah. And they're like, why do you care so much about these things? I'm like, strategy. Like, yeah. you actually have to know where people have been to know where you want to yeah. take them. Yeah. And and that's business. Yeah. You know. And but I think it's life. So I, I kind of I, I and I've always been really myself personally. I've always been really inquisitive. I want to know. Mm. That's why I'm, I'm intrigued because mm. it makes us look and yeah. also reflection, right? You like to, and for you, I, th- I think clearly self reflection is a really big thing. I could, you know, otherwise you wouldn't be where you are today. But let's just explore that a little bit more. So you, 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 you developed this very strong desire to work because. Your parents, obviously, school teachers, they're always at work. Yes. Uh, except they get like 12 weeks holiday where they can drive you crazy, right? But a lot of teachers are marking at night time, you know, right. and, and doing a lot of work outside of that. Do you, how do you think that that then <clears throat> led you into corporate life? Because you didn't really become your own business owner, business owner until later, right? You, you, you were in corporate, you were a general yeah. manager of a recruitment firm. Yeah. But before we go there, actually, I'd like to know, at which point did you know you wanted to be in recruitment? Like a bloody good career choice. Yeah, yeah. Right? It was purely by accident. Okay. Um, so when I went to university, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just did a management degree at UniSA. Mm-hmm. So very yeah, bored. Right? Arts management. Yeah, yeah. I know. I wanted to dress up in a suit. and But yeah, there was no career path. By the way, you've done that well. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but I went to a recruiter, so I actually went to a recruiter and I had applied for a job as a sales rep, I think it was with Arnott's at the time, and she actually said to me, you know what, don't worry about this job, you'd be a really good recruiter. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I so said, she poached you? Yeah. And I said, okay. Did Arnott's know about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they missed out on a great candidate. <laughs> um, and I didn't actually know what that was. Like, I didn't okay. actually know that the recruitment industry even existed. So... Yeah. Yeah, so it turned out to be a great combination for my skills because there's the sales and business development mm-hmm. aspect, but then there's the HR and people element to yeah. it. So it's a perfect combination of the two things that I did at uni um, and turned out to be my loves to, to bring together. That's amazing because I'm always intrigued why people end up where they mm. end up, right? And, and yeah. why they started. And, and I, that's a really cool story because that's an entrepreneur story. In many ways, it's kind of, you know, people, you ask people, how'd you end up? Well, I didn't really know, but then I went out, I was able to work out that I could solve this really complex problem. Yeah. And recruitment is a really complex problem. Yes, it is. We know that it's one of the three major restrictions for growth um, Mm -hmm. all over the world, Mm -hmm. not just here in Australia. Um, But also, you get to solve, at a very important level, one of the biggest problems that business owners face yeah um so i think that you, you not only get to run your own business but in a lot of ways you're impacting other people's business and right. you specialize and correct me if I'm wrong, in the c-suite leadership yeah. space okay. so again you know we know <laughs> how difficult it is to find good people most of the time finding great people is even harder, harder. but finding great leaders because those great leaders often go and work for themselves so, mm-hmm. so it really exposes business i mean i work with my clients to build great leaders within their organizations yes. for exactly that reason. Because we've identified over the last three or four years that 
it's impossible to just hope. You know, a lot of time, and impossible and hope in the same sentence is kind of doesn't work, but it's becoming so much harder. Mm. Tell me, what's the secret at Underwood? What's the secret for you guys? Like, there must be some kind of secret that you <laughs> have to, because I'm assuming, right? But I also know, because I know some of your clients, that you've got a really well-established client pool that come to you regularly. Now, that doesn't actually happen by chance, no. right? So can you can you explain that a little bit more? I, th- I think Sorry, that's not even a question I was I going know, to ask. I, I just, I'm intrigued, right? I think, there's, I think there's two answers to it. One is people come to you for your expertise, right? So they come, they come to get us to do something they can't do themselves. Mm-hmm. So they can't recruit a leader or they can't find the talent that they're after. So that's why they come to us initially because we offer something that they cannot do themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's when most people come to us. So most clients will come to Underwood Executive when they can't fill a job, they've tried filling it themselves, they might have used um, another recruiter and they haven't been able to fill the job. Then they come to us. So we are classified as an executive search for C-suite leadership and hard to fill roles. Okay. So that's that's the three buckets. Yep. C-suite leadership and hard to fill. You only come to us when you can't do it yourself. So I kind of figure, why would you pay us to do something you know, okay. you can do yourself. That's a good approach. Right? So if you can do it, give it a go. But if you can't find the talent that you're after, then come to us. It's really interesting. Other recruiters that I've met in my lifetime have never, ever sold me on that yeah. in that way. Right. Normally it's, you need us. No. And what I really admire, and now I can see why some of the people, and you don't even know that I know them, some of the people have actually said to me, Nicole's approach is very different. Yeah. And it's because you actually admit the fact that, hey... You can do this yourself. Really important. Because I teach my clients, hey, you don't need to see a recruiter. Try it first. Then go and find the best recruiter that knows exactly what it is that you need to find. Because that's the skill set. Correct. Because you see, a lot of people I've met, I walk into companies who have a 150 grand recruitment bill. And I look at it and I go, why are you getting a recruitment agency to recruit a receptionist? Just put down And they're like, well, what do you mean? We're just there, our partner. I'm like... Yeah, but you realise that that's something that you could just run an ad filter it. And they're like, yeah, but we don't have time. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, well, that's right? potentially true. But yes. then I go, but you have a HR manager and a HR oh, coordinator. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So what are they doing? why? Yeah. And then all of a sudden the light bulb goes on. See these other roles? Absolutely. Yeah. But these? And then you realise that those relationships have been going for a long time and you actually can dig deeper and you go, no, they've been really well looked after, the fees are really low on those low jobs. And you're yep. like, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then you see another company like, hang on, you're being charged how much to recruit a receptionist? Yeah. Okay, now you're just not, you know. And then you understand how that relationship started. But why you've just sold that to me is really powerful. It's kind of like an acknowledgement of, you can do this yourself. Yeah. Try it first. Yeah. Then come to us. It's like my line of work. You know, you, you, you go, you can't make your business work or your business is working but you're stuck and you don't know where to grow. So you call a so guy who's help. grown 70, 80 businesses before and failed at half of them. So therefore he knows no, or she knows now not to make the same yeah, mistakes again. Right. So you and then you work through it. It's, it's a, I yeah. never thought of recruitment in the same way. Well yeah. done. That's, that's, I've got goosebumps. I can't tell. <laughs> I have goosebumps. And yeah. One so thing you'll learn if when you hang out with someone... Everything's quite um, energetic, so I get goosebumps when something is really, really like relevant, and when I'm learning something, the hairs on my head have just gone up. <laughs> so that fantastic, yeah. and, I, and I'm digressing, but so, yeah, so it's that different approach. Yeah. You're going, 
well, you can't find it. What have been your roadblocks? What are the type of candidates that you've looked at that didn't have the qualities that you are after? And we put together a whole strategy about how we're going to find that candidate. Okay. So it's a whole proactive strategy than a reactive strategy. So you would give me your brief, you'd tell me your wish list, what does that look like? And then my team, we go away and put together a strategy and a brief of how we're going to find you that candidate. And then we come back to you with research. So we do research uh, in the market, and that can be locally, globally, uh, nationally. Obviously, um, depending on the role. Depending on the role, what you're after. Um, and we put that research together and come and show you the candidates that we think we would be suitable for your job. Mm-hmm. Very high level overview. And then when we agree who looks good, we actively go and headhunt them. So it's a complete proactive strategy of okay. selling you and selling your opportunity, putting together your EVP, your value, your employer value proposition, mm-hmm. and we become your agent to sell your opportunity. It's Where were you different. ten years ago? <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, and <laughs> companies will remain nameless. We, 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 when we had a large energy company that I was chief operating officer in, we went down this path, and we had lots of. We went through three or four recruitment agencies. Some were very good, and some, particularly the bigger ones, no. Yeah. Like, you know, and we were looking for, you know, directors of marketing, directors of sales. And I think back at that process, and it was very different to the one you just described. And, you know, maybe there's been an evolution over the last 10 years, I don't know, but Mm. 10 years ago, was that when you made the leap? Because mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, yeah. you're probably thinking, hang on, Christian, you've studied this. I'm like, yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, I just no, a little. I'm always interested in the people that come on my yeah, shows. Yeah, no, I do. So, what? So you spent ten years working for someone else, Correct. learning the trade, carving your way through it. Correct. What was what was the major reason for that leap of faith to then go? You know what? I'm going to do this for myself. Mm-hmm. What was that, Nicole? So that was 10 years into that role. So right. I had, had spent 10 years. Because right. how long have you been in Nicole Underwood? How long how, So 10 what? years in this business Okay, now. fantastic. Congratulations. So, you now get long service. <laughs> That'd be nice. No, that's right. Uh, <laughs> that was kind of me. Yeah. We don't get those things we when we're those. business owners. Um, so 10 years in that business where I was working for someone else. And yeah, that was an amazing opportunity. I mean, I was 23 when I started that business. Mm-hmm. So someone else took a leap of faith in me to, I mean... 23, I'm not sure, I, I, you know, if you yeah. said to me today. Well, there's today, only 23-year-olds running a business. Right. Yeah. Um, but so I got to learn how to set up a business from scratch, how to make it successful. I did all of that essentially with someone else's money, right? Yeah. So I didn't take any of that risk, but had all the lessons and all the opportunity. Right. So you were yeah. confident 10 years on that you could do this yourself. I could. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, at that 10-year mark, um, I had a conversation about equity in that business. Um, and that owner at the time didn't didn't want to have equity partners, and, and I completely respected that. Um, in fact, it's one of the lessons I've taken on from that person, which is, you know, you don't go into partnership. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's one of the things I don't have any intention of doing. Another podcast <laughs> altogether to bring um, on partners and firms. So, you know, I respect, mm. I, I respect that decision. But at that point, I had a choice. I kind of said, well, I can either try for equity, stay mm-hmm. here, and take this business to the next level. Yep. Or if I can't do that, I'm going to go out and do it for myself and take that risk. Um, and it was a sliding door moment because the equity wasn't on the table. Mm-hmm. So... You know, the next the next thing I was going to do was to do it for myself, and that turned out to be the right decision anyway. Because, you know, in terms of what I thought was the way forward in this industry, and what I thought was cutting edge, and where I thought and that, that's what I'm really getting at. I mean, yeah. it sounds like that wasn't a lot. You that's right. It sounds like 
you evolved. I'm giving yes. the benefit of doubt to the people yes. that we hired along yeah, that course, journey. Yes. Um, you obviously found a niche and went, you know what, there's gaps here. Correct. Right? There's a better process, the better approach. And I think as an industry, the industry needed to evolve. I now know a couple of other, some of my very good friends are recruiters and they have a very different approach. Yeah, right? you have to. You know, and, and I look at that and I go, uh, not, the, not the same angle that you take, which yeah. I really admire, but they've taken a different approach because they've been in it for a long time too and they realised, hang on a minute, that the industry's got to change yeah. or else we are just not going to be in existence. Yeah. So that's really interesting. So what was that moment though? What, apart yeah. from the fact that the equity wasn't on the table, yes. which on all accounts now seems <clears throat> like your previous mentor and boss made an error, should have offered you equity and kept you in the business. And we all live and learn, right? I'm sure. But I think he's done okay. <laughs> yeah, I, look, I, I, I haven't met anyone who doesn't do well in recruitment yeah. if they're good at what they do, right? Like I've seen people that are bad yeah. and they clearly yeah. don't do well. Yes. But then I've seen people that are, are good and you go, yeah, it's a good industry to be in yeah. because of the way it works. So it, yeah. I think that um, what's really important to understand then is if that equity had been on the table, would you have stayed? Mm. Who? I mean, with what you know now, would you have stayed? Do you know what? That's a really good question because when I look at the fundamental reason why I left, it wasn't because there wasn't equity on the table. Because trust me, at 20, how old, how old was I? No, I would have been 33, early 30s. Yeah, which is two, still young to take the Two lead. young kids. You know, I had a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Oh, wow. Super stable career. I was earning a lot of money. Yeah. Like, it was happy days. Like, I had a well-oiled machine. My retention rate on my staff, the average tenure was six years. They oh, were wow. all in high performance. I didn't have any, like, I didn't have any problem children. I was probably working three to four days a week. Like, life was good. What did you do? Yeah, right? So, why did I chuck all of that, that in? I'm going to go back to that question. It was yeah. a really bloody good question there in the context, right? So, <laughs> yeah. So, it was, what made you, what was the tipping point? It was a values alignment and an opportunity. So I had started my blog, and I know when you think about blogs, you think back then, that was cutting edge, doing a blog. Mm-hmm. And I was getting a lot it's of still traction. cutting edge for SEO, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Tell people most of the time, write the blog just for SEO, and then put it on Twitter. Yeah, And they're right. like, what? I'm like, just, just, just do, do it. it. <laughs> um, so back then, I'd started the blog yeah. and social media, mm-hmm. and I was getting a huge amount of traction Yeah, you that. were. I actually remember your LinkedIn profile and you were killing it before anyone else was right. getting traffic. And and there were people who, in my world, didn't see that social media, you know, was a thing. Why was I wasting my time doing that? Well, people were telling me that still today. And right. I own a very why large media company. So it's yeah. Like, like why on. did I have a Twitter account? Why yeah. was I doing all these things? So for me, that yeah. was an opportunity back then. And I just went, no, I'm actually going to roll with this. Mm-hmm. So I built this business off of the blog. So this business was built off the back of that blog um, and the social media. So that makes sense why you invest so much still. Just so anyone listening, you really need to follow Nicole Underwood on LinkedIn in particular. You do share some really good content. And I think that's actually, now I understand where it comes from. It comes from your blog, which means you put effort into your content. Um, And and I've read some of your articles. You've published a bit of work, particularly early. Yes. You did did publish some works like in 2013, 14. and you're probably thinking, wow, you weirdo. I'm like, yes, I am weird. I'm, <laughs> I also have a great memory retention. So when I read, I, and I take notice of the people who make impact. So, but now it makes more sense 
because there was a very calculated, purpose-driven approach to what you were doing. And, yeah. and I think this is the message I'm trying to get out of this podcast is what are the synergies across people? Yeah. Top achievers tend to more often than not find gaps, find niches, but they find a purpose to take action on. And that's what it sounds like. So, and I love the way you just put that, that you built it on that. Explore this concept. We are so off topic, which Definitely. is amazing. <laughs> let's <go>. um, <laughs> but let's, let's, let's just explore that a little bit more. What would you have done differently? In terms of starting the business? Yeah. What would you, knowing now where you are, and we're not, we haven't even spoken about where you are, that's why I want to come back to it so then the listeners are thinking, oh, where's he going? Mm. But what would you, if there was one thing you could do differently, what would that be at startup point? Or were you fully satisfied and you wouldn't change anything? Because that, then that makes me ask you a different question. Well, I guess as soon as you say that, the things that come to mind for me were the things that I did in the early days. So I went out on my own. I didn't start up the business from home. I went and got myself a serviced office. You know, I did all of that, you know, invested money in doing that. Would I do that again? Yes, I would. Um, I remember being told, don't hire any staff for the first year. And I did do that. So I didn't hire any staff for the first year. Mm-hmm. So I do think that was the right thing to do. I wouldn't do that any differently. Because you built your book. Yeah. yeah. And you owned your own book. It's in right. your line of work. That's the advice I'd give someone yeah. to. And then, Which most people wouldn't. Other business I, advisors I would say, bring people on so you can scale. Yeah. Whereas what you probably did was built your own book, built loyalty, didn't have the burden of having to manage anyone else. Because you remember, you got to teach people stuff. Well, and, right? and I did everything. Yeah. From making a cold call to doing an invoice to interviewing to like I did the whole thing do you miss the bookkeeping <laughs> sorry do you miss the bookkeeping um, no I kind of like the numbers <laughs> <laughs> right okay <laughs> not going to outsource it but I do yeah. like the numbers mm-hmm. um, and the other thing that I did is I was quite bold I think from that first year to decide where my market was and where it wasn't I remember getting a call from Beach Energy and they asked me to recruit a role that wasn't classified as C-suite leadership or hard to fill. And I turned it down. Good decision. I didn't take it on. Great decision. Right. I really admire that. So that anyone listening, that is that is courage, mm, right? Especially at an early stage. It was. Um, to turn down a market you're not a specialist in. Because if you get that wrong. What could the outcome be? Well, I would have been pigeonholed. So that market was where I had come from, the business yeah. I had left, and I referred it back to that business. So it shows re- integrity. So I referred it back. And Brilliant, yeah, bro. like 24 hours later, I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, I've got no work and I've just turned down some work and I've got, what have I done? But, you know, you have to stay in your lane. That's smart. I love that. And then, again, great advice for anyone starting a business or even in a developed business wanting to go after new shiny objects, if you stick to your niche and you do it well, you will flourish. It's that simple. Yeah. You know, the only time you need to look outside of that is when it's the market isn't there for you anymore. Right. Um, yeah. That's pretty good. That is, that is a really good lesson for anyone, honestly. Um, even I'm sitting there thinking, how many times did I make a mistake? And I actually teach this a lot now. You know, I cherry pick clients. I'm yes. in a very fortunate position. Uh, and I say that with a big grin on my face. You know, I, we, have, we in our advisory firm, we're booked out to the end of the year. You know, people are like, what about working with you next year? And it's like, well, you need someone now. Go see these people. Yeah. They're more down your path. 
And, uh, you know, my clients value me for that because they're like, that's great. That means we've got to look at you for next year. I'm like, sure. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you're here with me every single Some of my clients I work with every week. So it's, you know, I don't want to ever give up those people. And two, it's time to move on for them or for me. But I think the key is sticking to what you know. And you did it from the onset because you obviously knew I do not want to be put in the same category or pigeonholed, as you put it, in where I was where because I was. you knew where you wanted to go. Because I had to, had to so change that. You obviously had a very clear direction and path. How did that come about? Just, yeah. you know, but yeah. anyway, and, and explain this. I don't think people understand the magnitude of this. You're a mum with a, what, a two and a five-year-old, five. right? About to give up a significant six figure salary Correct. with all the perks working only three to four days a week Correct. and yet you're able to think so clearly to go no I know where I want to go did you foster this direction before you made this leap or is it something you just intrinsically always knew did you document it do you know what that's one of the things that prevented me from doing it sooner is that I never had the perfect strategy or business plan on a page and I always thought that I needed that before I could make the leap. Um, so that did hold me back for a period of time because I was just like, I can't articulate it exactly what I'm going to do. And so I held back. So no, I didn't have that. But I did have that intrinsic belief that what I was going to do was going to be successful. Did I know exactly what it would look like? No. Um, but one of my... One of my uh, mantras or whatever is that you've got to believe in yourself. First and foremost, you have to believe in you. But you should always find someone around you who believes in you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did have some really good mentors who believed in me. So that's, you know, that was key as well. So, um, and then the third part of that little mantra is you've got to believe in your staff. So... You know, find someone who believes in you, believe in yourself and believe in others. You know, if I believe that my staff are going to be high performers and they're going to be successful, you know, some people who've worked for me in the past have always said, Nicole, you always had more belief in me than I had in myself. So I think as a leader, I have that. I owe that to them. If I'm going to employ them, then I owe it to them to, you know, there's a book called Love Them or Lose Them. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to love your staff and give them everything to be the most successful they can be or don't hire them. Well, you would hope that as a recruiter, you'd only be recruiting A players for yourself, right? right? So, yes. you know, I, I love the concept of top grading. Yes. Um, you know, and I'm a big believer you surround yourself with A players and that is also an evolution. You know, I find that I've had, you know, some people in my company work for me for six, seven years and they've been A players and then I look now and go, you just haven't kept growing. And so then I invest in their growth. Yes. And, you know, like even one of my clients at the moment, I'm about to hire them an accountability coach and people some a senior member in my team's like why would you do that when that's what you do better than anybody else i'm like they're just not listening to me anymore so and they're that important to the business i need to find an edge right so you know i've been watching billions right i don't watch any tv and a good friend of mine uh, who was on this podcast said to me you really need to watch billions like you are axel fucking Bobby Axelrod he says to me I'm like <laughs> whatever man I've been watching it man he's a beast I am not Bobby Axelrod <laughs> but I sit there because I have I have morals beyond that and it's it's really amazing watching how they negotiate but they have uh, Wendy Rhodes who's a psychiatrist in their trading company 
So they're, they're traders, they're stockbrokers. Yeah. And she's there, just performance coach people, just when they're having these moments. And it's really interesting. Mm. And so I kind of went, you know what? Just because someone isn't listening to me anymore, after seven years of being with me, you kind of might be going, okay, that's enough. There's only so many. So I'm going to bring an external person. And then if that works, I'm going to get that across everybody else. Yeah. Um, I'm a big believer that I, you know, maybe I've evolved to a point where I'm not used to coaching those kind of people. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, whereas mm-hmm. I've gone right up to the top of the food chain where mm-hmm. it's $30, $40 million turnover companies. Those people have different attitudes and beliefs yeah. around what has to happen. Changes. And so it's, it's a growth for all, right? Yes. So phenomenal, phenomenal learning from that. You, you, you mentioned self-belief, and it's really interesting. I, so many people I meet um, are imposter, have imposter syndrome, which is something that I had, and I had to grow myself out of it. Um, it caused me a lot of pain. Where did your self-belief come from? Obviously, your mum and dad had a significant influence that yeah. you could do and be and have whatever you wanted to have. Yeah. But I'm sure you've had setbacks along the way. Mm-hmm. How do you, how, where do you think that self-belief it's a great question. Originates from. I mean, it definitely. How do you maintain it? Yeah, it definitely originated there. Um, yeah, no pressure being a parent, right? Yeah. When, you, when, when you think about that, <laughs> I heard on a, I heard on a podcast the other day that yourself, um, as a woman, your self belief comes from your mum, and your self esteem comes from your dad. Right. I thought that was interesting. So oh, that couldn't work in my life. <laughs> so it definitely came but from I'm, there. But then I'm an odd, odd person in my family. So. <laughs> it definitely, yeah. It definitely came from there. In terms of what happened after that, I mean, I think it's being um, encouraged from my whole work life. Like in terms of, you know, when I was 14, um, probably younger than that actually, 13. You know, getting a job. You know, we were getting a job was, was wasn't even to be negotiated. It's just what you're doing. Mm. So all through school, I worked um, casual all through school. Then when I got to university, again I continued to work. I think the turning point there was actually I applied for a job with Foxtel Cable TV, mm-hmm. and they rang and I won the job, but it was full time, and I immediately turned it down because I'm at uni. I, I can't work full time. And my parents at that point challenged me and said, well. Why can't you work full time and be part time uni? And you did it. And I did it. Yeah. So, so did I worked full time while I was studying. Right. So that was my turning point. I kind of two full time jobs. Yeah. I just like sales. Money. Yeah, sales the same. <laughs> so Foxtel Cable TV was selling cable TV door to door. So you, did you go door to door? I did door to door. That explains so much. You should have told me that was <laughs> I not. Told you that at the start. That was nowhere. That should really be on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Because you know what? That's a badge of honour. I've just. I've, sorry, I got to get back in the camera. I just, no, that's a badge of honour. I did door to door. Did you? And did it you changed sell? my life. Yeah. No, no. I, I actually sold Optus, ah, telephones, yeah, yeah, mobile, yeah, yeah. SIM card. Ah. Like, no, what was it? it? Was landlines? Yeah. When Optus was trying to take on Telstra after deregulation. Yeah. Okay. And we got fifty bucks. Um, per conversion yeah. and no one wanted to sign up and I went to work for these this English guy it turns out one of my clients also worked with him so on the same run and this guy was awesome he taught me yeah, how I to did. close deals yeah. but my the approaches everyone taught me never worked so the first week I made nothing and I'm like I'm going to get fired and then I realised that we're giving a $20 credit to everyone so I basically walked around with a $20 bill in my hand to every house and I said look you're going to get one of these because the visual component, people got it and they went, hang on a minute. And basically, I'm not going to get a phone call. I said, and here in the clause, and I'd highlight, you can cancel anytime, anytime. no risk. <laughs> I think I got like 31 in my next week. And everyone looked at me and said, what did you do? And this was in Elizabeth. 
So I got literally thrown, this is 25 years ago. And I said, why are you sending me to Elizabeth to do this? Because you're a white privileged bloke, right? Who needs to get your ass kicked and learn how to do how this. How to do that. And I thought, man, working, selling, I've been washing dishes since I was 12. Like, what are you <laughs> trying to teach? What do you think? And it, it's a tough gig. What is that where you've kind of learned rejection yeah. and overcoming that fear? And is that probably oh. therefore why you've got this, 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 and you can feel it. That now makes sense because it's, yeah. you, you only can learn certain things from doing something as hard as door to door. Oh, you're going up to someone's house and knocking on the door and selling them something that they don't need or want. Um, and Telstra, like the Foxtel was coming on the Telstra cable and the houses were going to an Unley Park and places like that. They've got cable out in their street. They're angry. So yeah. similar sort of thing. So you, so found, you found a way to sell I that. I found a way to sell that. Brilliant. And, um, I love this. So that was the best training ground that I ever had in my career. But also... It was great training ground because you learned how to work full time and do a load at uni. And it's funny, so many people that, you know, are, so when I was the entrepreneur in resident at the University of Adelaide and Think Lab, you know, a lot of the startups that came in early, in the early day, which I eventually said, look, it's not for you. They're just like, oh, you know, you know, I, I, I can't run a company and then work. I'm just looking at them going, what? You want an investor to give you money, but you want to be paid to basically take your idea <laughs> to become a company. Mate, get out of my office. And people would look at me and go, you can't speak to me like that. I'm like, actually, I can. My title says that I can. Yeah. Go out, go and earn some money. Bootstrap your idea. Absolutely. And this is why bootstrapping is a thing a lot of people don't actually understand. They go, how am I meant to start my own business when I can't go out, you know, when I can't actually earn money? Well, you did it. You know, you, 10 years ago now, you took a leap of faith when you had everything. Yeah. Everything, everything you wanted, right? Yeah, that you'd worked for, and you go on. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna jump into all this uncertainty. I'm gonna, you know, as Brene Brown would proudly say, <laughs> you know, you were the man in the arena. In this case, you were the woman standing up in the arena, saying, "I'm going to make myself vulnerable, and I'm going to take a dive at this." Now, probably unlike someone who's just starting out first time round, you probably had a little bit of cash banked up from the work that you'd done because you'd earned it. Yes. But that is another great lesson in itself. If you, know, if you aspire to be more and have more, remember, you've got to go and do the apprenticeship. Correct. You know, I always use the analogy of you know, Marco Pierre White and um, Alain Ducasse and um, Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. People were saying, well, what do you mean? And it's like, well, they have something in common. They all work for one another, right? They all did an apprenticeship. Sure, yeah. So, you know, Gordon Ramsay, I think, spent 14 years, if I remember correctly, it's 14 years working as an understudy to Marco Pierre White. You know, that's why there's rivalry. It's because these guys, you know, and then you look at even like Shannon Bennett, you know, who owned Voudemont. He spent five years under Marco Pierre White. I think Curtis Stone also spent six, seven years. You know, and these were chefs who then went and did in, in the cooking industry. They're apprenticeships. They're mm-hmm. not. You're not going there to get paid some really great salary and have wonderful working conditions. No. You're going to learn how the best do it. So you can then take that leap of faith for yourself. And these are guys that have done incredibly well. And I, you know, some of them I know well, some I don't know at all. Mm. But it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And I, I kind of see the synergies there for you. You know, one of the questions that I was going to ask you was, you know, in your child, how did your childhood shape the type of business person that you are today? Well, I think that's really clear. Mm. You answered it so succinctly and well. You know, your parents shaped you. Is there anything else from your childhood, though, that you think set you up to who you are today? 
I mean, being a country girl would have... It's, the, uh, it's that whole work ethic and accountability. Yeah. Like that... that I like how you just put those two. Yeah, that's, that's the... I couldn't have that better. Yeah, <laughs> work ethic. You've got to work yeah. hard. No one else is going to do it for you. No one else is going to... You know, I haven't, I haven't come from a wealthy family. I haven't got an inheritance. I haven't inherited a business. I didn't go to some fancy private school. Like... And you're a woman. And I'm worried. Like, it's up to me. Like, there's no one else who's going to do it for me. And you're going to have to work really hard. You can't just... It's like, it's like selling Foxtel, right? You can't just knock on one door and expect you know, to get a sale. You're never going to live this way. You're <laughs> going to be having lots of conversations. I know, right? And it's true. Like, you can't give up on that one door that you've says You've got no. to knock ten doors, you know? Mm. You've got to take no after no after no after no before you get yes. And then you... I'm always fine-tuning my craft, Christian. You don't... You don't... Like, I... I don't have ego. I mean, we all have a bit of ego, but I don't. I don't have the ego of going. Oh yes, I own this search firm and I know it all. And I, I'm always fine tuning my craft, and I'm always learning a lesson, and always going. You know what? I could have done that better. You know, next time I'm going to say it this way, or next time I'm going to. I'm never going to know it all. You've got to be a life. You know what you're demonstrating, and, I, and I, I'm really grateful you're doing it. It's self awareness, right? And self awareness brings a certain level of humility that comes with it. Um, it's interesting. You mentioned the word ego. So many top achievers are, um, people assume they have all this ego because they don't actually ever see, they don't see the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Like, you know, people think that I've got, I'm arrogant and I kind of find that humorous because anyone who knows me, like really knows me, will say, yeah, he's got ego. But mate, God will give you anything you need. He'll teach you anything you want to know. Yeah, that might be charisma. Yeah, well, <laughs> my, my charisma is my ego. I'm in trouble. But but what I love about what you said is this: it's the below the iceberg stuff. It's the fine tuning of your craft, and I love that. I'm going to steal that quote. I'm going to put your name on it when I share it. But what it is is that's a wonderful quality of I forget the tag on top achievers of human beings. The good human beings, you know, we're constantly fine-tuning our craft. Yes. You know, I don't go, I always have a saying, you know, because people like you, you've won many awards, right? And a lot of people say to me, you've achieved pretty much what most people would do in a whole lifetime. You achieved before you were 30 and you're still achieving. Mm. I'm like, I'm only as good as the last of it. Like, you know, if tomorrow someone smarter, better than me is going to come along, I can't have that. Yeah. But you know what, when they do, I'm going to embrace them. I'm not going to be threatened by them. No. You know, and so for me, you know, that's how I recruit. Yeah. I'm and I work and by recruitment, I refer to even my clients. I want to work for people that are better than me. Yes. Now people always say, "Well, hang on, how does that work?" Wait. And I'm like, well, "What do you mean? Aren't you the expert that's going to help them?" I said, "Yeah, but in my craft, there aren't many of us. No. There's a lot of coaches, Love but there isn't many business advisors." who actually know how to be a cheerleader yeah. and help someone go from A to B faster, Correct. right? And why? Because a lot of those people haven't failed or learnt or fine-tuned because they assume they know everything. Yes. And that's where you just summed it up far better than I could have. And I think I just want to recap on that. Critical attributes, work ethic, accountability, which you learnt as a child, and then you further learnt in a job like Foxtel because that door-to-door job I know exactly because I've done it and I've met lots of people who've done it Brian Tracy will attribute all of his success to door-to-door sales yeah. and he's probably the, the godfather of, of, yeah. of, of professional development yeah. and, and all Correct. that yeah. and you know <laughs> that monotone voice that you have to listen to in his audios drives me crazy um, <laughs> sometimes I end up speaking like him if I've listened to something 
But I think you've summed it up beautifully. It's fine-tuning your craft and never assuming that you know more than someone else. And, and I see that. Um, and we have challenges around that because it's that iceberg. People, people look at us and they say, well, they might look at you and they go, look how confident she is. She's got everything. She's but they don't realise all the hard work that goes underneath. And you have the same challenges that everybody else has. Sure, you have recruitment challenges, I'm sure, even in your own business, because you get to keep them, you bring them in, you hold on to them, you nurture them, and some of them are going to go, you know what, Nicole, I can do this on my own, and because you won't have the equity conversation as well, (laughs) then you're going to potentially lose some of those people. It's really interesting, though, because no one probably sees that, whereas because I'm in the line of work where I have to pull this apart... I, and by the way, caveat, I'm making this up. Like, it's an, it's an yeah, assumption. Yeah. I don't believe this is where you're at. But I go, wow. So in that case, what is your top strategy then, right, mm-hmm. And it, that you deploy in your business to continuously – so you're able to do that fine-tuning, so that ability for you to grow. Do you have a, a unique strategy? And by unique, I mean unique to you, not, not like unique in the context that no one else might have it. What is something you do – almost always that allows you to fine tune that's ongoing learning as in i always have to be learning something or i call it a life learner Mm -hmm. so you know one of my strategies is if you're not uncomfortable you're not learning so you know either you're reading my content or we're very similar right (laughs) well we are both scorpios too oh when's your birthday Friday. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Powerhouses. Powerhouses. So one of my other clients, Alice, she's 1st November, same as today. Yeah. So and it's funny. I just mentioned the date and we haven't gone live. We're not going to go live for another two weeks. But so, yeah. Yeah. No, okay. That. that explains. Okay. So that explains why there is this connection at the moment. Because one thing that I've found, I'd, this is a very difficult month for me. A lot of my best friends are also oh, Scorpios. and. People will go, Same. how is it? Like, you guys are like a pack. Yeah, you, it's like magnets. It's loyalty, right? Mm. We, it's loyalty. Loyal. I can't believe you said yeah, that. It's loyalty. We, we actually, and we care. And this is why I laughed before about this thing about ego and stuff. People are like, mate, you don't know me. If, if you really thought that I was arrogant or had this huge ego, you no idea because the things that I would do for people, people I, I, if you needed me to wash your feet, I'd wash your feet. And I'm not claiming to be Jesus. I'm just saying, <laughs> right? Like, you know, if, if you needed something done, I'd do it for you. It's, it's this intrinsic desire to want to help other people, right? And it's not a self... People sometimes say, oh, that's selfish because you're so driven. Hey, have you seen me at home? Like, what I... what I, my, my children are everything to me. And I think probably for me, actually, Nicole, becoming a father grounded that in me. Yeah. Because I was pretty wild before. <laughs> As Lucy sums, I was pretty wild before we had children. Um, so, and I just want to come back because there's some really excellent learning that's coming out of this conversation. But business, we've made it sound like business is all is all great, right? But business is not all flowers and rainbows or sunshine and rainbows, however you want to put it, right? Sure. Mm. Um, what, and I know that you've probably encountered some failure experiences along the way, we all have, but what is one failure experience in particular that resonates above all others? And by failure, I don't mean like something that you regret or yeah. right? failure in the proper context we fail right and yes. fail is part of success do you have a particular failure experience that shaped your success later yes. would you like to share that yes awesome. um it's it's it is a standout so for me it would have been three years into the first business that i ran um and i would say i was probably close to burnout at that point so uh 
A-type personality, adrenaline junkie, impatient, want it all done yesterday, perfectly. Um, so driving at that pace with such high expectations of achievement and um, I, I'm definitely not a perfectionist, but I was definitely the adrenaline junk, junkie A-type. What came with that three years into running a business was staff turnover. So I probably wasn't that much fun to work for probably, you know, 25, 30% of the time uh -huh. because of that high achievement drive that I put onto other people. So mm. the pain was... The pain was staff turnover and I mean as we talk about you know finding people investing in people it's a lot of energy it's a lot of emotional energy it's expensive and then when they resign um, you know that's crippling and you can't grow a business when that happens so I was exhausted I was cranky I was close to burnout and I just I thought what am I going to do I have this this is not sustainable um, but I loved what I was doing. So at that point, I actually did engage a business coach who actually used to be my old boss. Um, and that's tough. To get a business coach, you really need to be coachable or open yeah, to feedback. Yeah. So, you know, that's looking in the mirror and going, how am I contributing to this? And even if you have the self-awareness to see it and go, yes, I see how I'm contributing, you then have to put on your big girl pants and change your behaviour. So it's one thing to know what it is. So that clearly had an impact. Massive impact. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a wonderful example because it, you just demonstrated vulnerability. The ability, and that's hard for us yeah. because now that I know how similar we are, that can be really challenging. And it's really interesting, what I really loved about your story, and I know everyone listening, especially because I know my audience, they would, they're people that can relate exactly to that moment in time. Because when you told me that, when you said that story then, I just had flashbacks of exactly where I was. You know, I had a 96% retention rate when I won employer of the year for the entire restaurant catering industry. Yeah. And then it all went to shit. Because I basically burnt and churned as I grew, because I'm boundless. I could literally keep going. And that's what caused my catastrophic failure. You know, $30 million, boom, gone. You know, living on the street, essentially back of the car, three, four days, having to grovel to get back and live with my mother at the age of 32 when I had everything. And, you know, it's, for me, it was that catastrophic, but you had foresight. And I'd hired all the coaches. I'd hired everyone. I just wasn't coachable. That was my problem. Right. I wasn't listening. And, you know, one of my greatest mentors today, Eric Granger, if he's listening, yeah. um, Eric, you know, yeah, has, has done, has had an outstanding career. And Eric still to and I talk very much now, and you know he said you've this is what the biggest thing that change you've made is you're now mm, coachable, yeah. yeah. And I mean if you know Eric, you'll know the kind of man he is. And this is when he was you know the big boss at Booper, and yeah. you know he took me under his wing at a very early age. And you know when I failed, he just said he goes, "You failed because you weren't coachable. You know you you knew you had the money, you were hiring everybody, and then you weren't listening to anyone." And I look back and I think, crap, is so right? You know, the, the level of growth I was experiencing in an industry, that there was never any growth. I mean, we revolutionised hospitality in, in the country. And that wasn't because I was a genius, it's because I had seen what they were doing overseas. And I was just, you know, challenging our curb rate. But that one moment, I know there are people listening that are all now going, oh, yeah, I had that moment. And 
great advice again, you know, go and hire someone who you know can help you get there. You knew this person that was your previous boss, so you knew they could help you. Yes. Yeah, and this is the biggest lesson out of all of that. If you're going to go and hire an expert, hire a real expert. Hire someone, yeah, there's a lot of, in, 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 and this is where coaching has become a horrible, dirty word. Where I'm not a coach, I'm an advisor who coaches. Yes. Right? Um, because there's a big difference, you know. Mm-hmm. And I always say to people, and those guys are expensive. You want to hire the best. You don't get any change, yeah. right? You, you know, and I always say to people, you, you're happy to go and pay an accountant of a big firm $400 an hour. You're happy to go and pay a lawyer five to $800 an hour. Correct. You're talking more when you want to hire the guys that can solve your problem. You know, one of my clients said to me the other day, you know, when I first started with you, I was really skeptical about paying you a thousand bucks an hour. And I said, why? And I said, because I didn't think I could get an ROI. And after the first meeting and you made me $20,000, I realized that I could now use you for 20 hours. And I thought, it's really interesting. <laughs> looking at, at yeah. and I was like, wow. And you know, it took me a long time to get my hourly rate to the point where it is now. And then you know, I sit back now and I go, okay, well now I get to choose. All right, I really want to work with you, so I'm going to drop my hourly rate down so we can get you a greater ROI. And then you never want me to go. But the reality is, I always want to go. Like people are like, aren't you bored of me? I am, but there's still this one thing we need to finish. And once I finish that, and then they look at me like, what else can we do? And I'm like, no, can I leave now? Like now <laughs> yeah, I want I've to done leave. this, bit. So, but I think your story, Nicole, there, there's, there's already like four or five amazing things that have come out of this podcast that I'm blown away by because they stand out as things that will really help other people. And that, and, and that demonstrates, I think, very powerfully what you do. I think anyone listening really needs to dive a little bit deeper into the conversation and really explore yeah. what you're saying through your learning because I think it also is a reflection. Oh, goosebumps underneath my hair's up everywhere. Because <laughs> what I'm about to say next, I believe that what you're sharing with us today is a reflection of who you are in your real environment. So your desire to help others really shines through and it's probably what separates Nicole Underwood Executive Underwood Executive in this marketplace. Um, now, I wish we could just talk all about that. You may, you've already talked a few lessons, right, that you would share with people, but what do you think are your top three lessons that you would impart on someone that wanted to take the next step, right, to that leap? I, you know, and a lot of people were saying, oh, but you're referring to startups. No. No. We know that people are now... The peak performers are in their 40s. Right. Right? They've worked for people. And I'm not saying it because, you know, whether you're, you're still in your 30s. Right? <laughs> Thanks. So Let's go the, for that. <laughs> the, thing, the point I'm making here is, and where I want these three lessons so you understand how to, to, to structure them. Yes. Most people spend their lifetime working for someone and have these incredible ideas. You know, Oliver Holmes says something to these effects. So many of us go to our grave um, with the music still with music unplayed inside us, right? We haven't actually been able to explore. And this is what I'm saying. The new entrepreneurs that are now, the, the great entrepreneurs are all coming out in their 40s. Mm. So anyone listening who is, you know, in business or corporate is thinking to themselves, hey, you know, this is all related to entrepreneurs or business owners. Mm. No, we're talking to you. If you're listening, the cues are here for you to take action if you truly powerfully can and want to. So yes. what would be the three most valuable tips that you would impart on someone sitting there or a business owner ready to make a next mm-hmm. leap of faith in their business? Yeah. Well, the first one I would say goes on from what we were just talking about, which is ask for help. Mm-hmm. So I think you do have to ask for help, talk to people, engage with people who are doing something you want to be doing or 
they've done it or they've got a lesson they can share. So, you know, talking to people who are older, wiser, been there, done that, I think I think that's worth listening to someone, learning, or even reading a book or listening to a podcast or whatever it is. So asking for that help and reaching out, I think, is important. Um, it, you know, is inspirational, it's motivational, but you can also obviously learn from it. So being that lifelong learner. Um, I'm a big believer in activity generates results, mm-hmm. right? So if you want X result, whatever that is, you've got to take the activity. You've got to do the thing, whatever it do is. Do the work. Do the work. So action. I love the way you put activity generates, generates results. results. Yeah. So if my, like someone in my team today, let's say that they are not anywhere close to their monthly goal, whatever mm-hmm. that is. I said, yep. don't worry about the goal. Like, stop looking at that. Look at the activity. Break it down. Break it down. How many clients have you seen this week? How many people have you interviewed this week? Like, it, if you haven't been on any visits or you haven't seen any client and you've just been typing at your computer, how do you expect to generate the result? Isn't it interesting how people, when they're under pressure, gravitate to safety? Yes. Right? Whereas, no, you've got to be whereas uncomfortable. top achievers <laughs> gravitate to being okay. You've got to become comfortable with being, being uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Right, that's Tony yes. Robbins is one of his biggest lines. Yes. I love that, right? Yes, I love and people are like, Christian, do you own that line? I'm like, hell no, that's not my line. If yes. I did, yes. you would see it in shining colours with my name and a copyright on yes. it, right? But to me, you know, and I think he kind of pinched that from Jim Rowan. Um, the truth is you've got to become uncomfortable. Yes. You've got to, so if we get comfortable with being uncomfortable, but that's only top achievers can do that. Because everybody else gravitates to the comfort zone. Yeah. What I love about that is, you know, what you're saying is, forget your big overarching goal, your BHAG, right? So, as Jim Collins would say, pull it right back yeah, and go, okay, where am I? I'll give you a good example. I've got a client in Ireland. And we unearthed this 14,500 ex-customer database that they've had this whole time. And no one's used it. And I just looked and I said, why don't we call all these customers back and find out now that COVID's lifted that... Yeah. All 14,500 may want to come back. And they've got like nine locations. And I said, we've got all these people doing idle work, doing nothing. Let's get them on the phones. So they got them on the phones, no scripts. I did this on purpose. The first three days were a complete bomb. <laughs> I turned and I said, here you go, here's a script. He goes, what you did? I said, no, it's a script that I used to use many, many years ago when I you know, used to run call centers. And it's like 25 years ago. I said, I just found it. But the truth is I didn't really. I rewrote a portion of it, tailored for them. And I said, here you go, try this. Um, I, without disclosing, their, their sales volume skyrocketed, but morale skyrocketed, right? And it was really interesting to see um, who in this team was going to go on and thrive. Mm. And then, so I said to the client, I said, listen, see these four people? They're not even picking up the phone. I said, they've got to be moved or they've got to actually, you know, what are they good at? And they went back, turns out those four people had to be scrapped because it was, they were the underperformers in every area. And he'd carried them all the way through COVID-19 at full wages. And I turned and I said, so what's the lesson here? Structure. I said, no, but also being able to activate what you've got, break it down. But this month, what happened? Mm. So we've been doing this mm. for Activity. a couple of months, so six weeks. But this month, they all got too confident and they've also gotten busier. So all of a sudden, the target became this huge, gigantic mm. problem. And I said to the client, I said, hey, stop focusing on the target. Just like that. I said, yeah, get them to go back Do and it. focus on the activity. They've made a quarter of the phone calls. Yep. Do the calls. Like, oh. Do the calls. Well, no, I said then readjust the target, re-motivate them based on the call volume. There you go. And he did that. Yeah. And he's, everyone's like really happy. I said, but you 
lost track. You focused on the target. You saw the dollars and therefore you were demotivating your own team. And so I guess the learning lesson from here is even though we are top achievers, we've also got to remember not everyone around us is. So we can also become very fixated on what we're capable of doing. So when you then take what you've said, activity generates result. If you have that, if there's one thing that you learn from this podcast, grab that, make it a statement and go activity generates results, Results. right? And actually highlight that and stick it up everywhere because that is the one thing that makes a massive difference. And so many people don't understand it. You know, I procrastinate. I bet you do too. Like, <laughs> the, you know, I'm, I'm an active procrastinator, so I, will, I don't know if you know the, the, the concept. So active procrastination, um, it's chapter 11 in my, my new book on procrastination. So 10 chapters about passive procrastination and how it's not great, and then one chapter right at the end teaching about active procrastination. Top achievers have this ability to procrastinate to a point on purpose so that anxiety builds and t- it's a tipping point, and then we just go bang and we deliver. Right? Now, I do that a lot. It's not healthy, but it actually is very good for spawning creativity in your mind. So it's a, there's, there's new research coming out around this, and you, you have to be aware that you're doing it. So the moment you become aware that you do it, you can put it, turn, it's like turning a tap, tap. on and off. Mm. But you've got to be really careful, because while I was learning about this, um, I actually discovered that I was doing a load of passive procrastination, <laughs> and it wasn't very good, because I would justify it. And yeah. I think this is the trap. And I guess the point I'm trying to make is we all fall into this trap, right? It's not like, you know, that, hey, all these people on this show are going to be amazing people. The thing I'm trying to make people understand is we all are not perfect, right? It's just how we do it. But that one line, activity generates results, brilliant learning lesson. So we've got ask for help and continuous learning as one. Yes. Activity generates results. What would be your third lesson to impart on something? Focus on what you can control. Okay, so we really have read the same book. <laughs> well, I can control. <laughs> I can control my ability to learn. I can control my attitude. I can control who I talk to. I can control the clients I want to do with. I can't control the market. I can't control the COVID nineteen pandemic. I can't control what my competitors are doing. Yeah. So, I've never focused on those external factors. It's always what can I do? What am I responsible for? I can control all of these things, um, so focus on that. Nicole, there are three outstanding lessons. I couldn't have written them better myself, and but particularly that last one. And that lends me, I guess, to another question. Mm. If you're focusing on what you can control, what happens, what happens in the times when you're overwhelmed, right, mm-hmm. and you're unfocused? Okay, and that, that can happen. You know, there, there are things that come into our lives. There are people that come into our lives. There, are, you know, there's circumstances, right? Yeah. You know, um, when you're overwhelmed or unfocused, what do you do to realign? I'm a really good um, to-do list person, so I live and die by that. So if it was, if I was in that situation where I am overwhelmed, I would always come back to that. I'm very um, task orientated, achievement outcome orientated. So it would always come back to that in terms of what is it I'm trying to achieve and get focused back on that. Um, in my business, that's always going to come down to what is going to generate the, an outcome. So for our client, whatever it is, if I'm overwhelmed and got 100 things on, the things I'm going to do first are the things that are going to generate an outcome for our clients. So that's where it would 
that's how okay. I would focus. But it would be it would be very task orientated to chunk down where where to next. Is that because it energizes you? Yes, because I'm so achievement oriented. Yeah, you seem like like an yeah. No, but you, I, I really get this peak state kind of person. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, if you've done some of Tony Robbins' stuff or you've listened to positive psychology work, it's all around being in a peak state. Yeah. And for some people, you know, it's movement, it's physiology, you know, going to the gym in the morning, having a morning routine, yeah. doing all the gratitude journal stuff. And then for others, it's finding what drives you. Right? See, like me being in this room right now is filling my cup. Yeah. Right? Like to me, working with clients fills my cup. Yeah, and, yeah. And I think this is what I'm trying to get at. It's, yeah. it's really interesting because I have not met anyone else that I get the same impression from. I mean, I've got some clients that are like that, but that's also because they've been able to, they had that in, they had that in them. Yeah. An and then I kind of pulled that out for them. And then yeah. all of a sudden now, they're just like, they're gunners. They're, but not yes. gunners in the concept, gonna do. They're like people that go hard. Yeah, okay. And, and they don't stop. Yeah. But that realignment around the to-do list, I'm assuming that it's not as simple as grab your to-do list and start somewhere. No. You must have some kind of ranking priority system. Oh, absolutely. Yeah? yeah? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. And that's all, and I use that with my team as well because in our industry, you can imagine there's stuff happening, you know, everywhere you turn. There's a client or a candidate or a job that needs to be filled or we need to... So there are, are, there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. to be done. Um, so yes, there is a whole prioritisation about where we start and how we're going to generate that outcome, which is very achievement orientated. Yeah. yeah, it's wonderful. Just on that note, I, I spend a lot of time working with people on moving them from achievement yes. to fulfilment. Yes. Right? And I think that, I don't think I need to have a session with you on this. I'm just, I want to explore this with you just quickly because some people listening would get really hooked on the conversation we've just had because there is mega learning here but also get hooked on the idea okay i've got to be achievement orientated i was achievement orientation for me is what caused me to fail right right and it generally does fulfillment though if i'm being fully fulfilled in that experience and i and i think that it's just a choice of words sometimes so for me it's how do you how does, how does that, when I say to you achievement fulfillment, mm. how, how does that make you yeah, feel? In, yeah, in so the straight context? away for me, as soon as you say that, I know for me it's through seeing my team succeed, like them getting the win or them putting in place a new learning and actually getting a different outcome from the new learning. So that I get great fulfillment from seeing yeah. the team achieve. And the other place fulfill, from fulfillment in our business is choosing the clients that we want to work with. So dealing with um, clients who understand that people, culture and leadership is at the heart of their business success and who will partner with us and use us as advisors to help their businesses grow. So um, if I was just achievement orientated, so when you said that, what clicked for me was if I was just achievement orientated, it would all be about how many jobs, how many clients, how much money can we make? And that is absolutely not the goal. Correct. I, I've picked that up. That's yeah. what I want. See, it's really easy. You know, someone said to me recently, and I took real good compliment at this because I never thought I was a great interviewer. Like, I'm a terrible recruiter. It's like, no, no, I'm bad because I do too much talking. I don't actually ask enough questions. So, and, so a good interviewer, Christian, only speaks 20% of the time. The that's why I am, speaks 80% of the time. That is why I'm not a good recruiter, right? <laughs> I'm terrible. Because <laughs> uh, I do, I speak like 95%. Like I do in these, in these podcasts. But what it is that, I'm an out, the, the challenge that I have is that I'm an out loud thinker, right? Because I'm processing so fast that if I don't talk, 
Yeah. I can't. People just go, where did you just come up with that? Yeah. Like you, you did not explain that. So for me, that, and I'm also not the smartest person, so I have to work really hard to be and have what I have. And, and, you know, and again, you know, if you work harder than other people, you will succeed. Correct. And it's not that hard to work harder than most people because most people want to go to work for 38 hours. They probably work 18 of those 38 because they're procrastinating or they're being distracted, distracted all the time. And it's not that concentrated effort that is, you know, activity generates results focused. Um, I, I'm going to come back. The to-do list is something that I really enjoyed that you brought up, but it is around prioritizing it. And what I really am grateful for is that you've just demonstrated clearly that for you, it's not achievement in the context of most people. It is actually fulfillment because I don't want people to get the wrong idea and go, all you people are interested in is drive, drive, drive. No, it's actually not. It's what makes us, it's what fills our cup. Right. Now, most most of the time, and I can see it, money's not your driver. Nope. But money's important because you can't have... How many staff have you got now? So we've got seven. Yeah, yeah. but you've, been, you've had a few at some point. How, how many staff have you had at the highest level? Uh, in my career, 15. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and that's a big organisation. It's yeah. a lot of people to manage yeah. in that industry because you're recruiting for other people. Correct, yes. So, you know, like I, I went from, what, 100 and... I don't even remember the exact number, but 100 and something, 105, 106, like three years ago, when I made the decision to go, that's it, I don't want, I don't want to do this anymore. And yes. I sold out of all these companies. And I went down to three. Yeah. And it was like heaven. And now someone reminded me, one of my, Bonnie, my, my, the, the, my two I see, uh, she goes to me, yeah, let's wear 34 people again. And I'm like, don't say that. That's hurting me. <laughs> but life is so much easier this time. Different systems, different processes. Yeah, correct. We learn from our yeah. past. And, you know, people were saying, but I thought you learned from the first time when you had 160 people. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I did. And I set up different things. But then I realized, oh, I still don't want to do this. Yeah. And now, this time, it's so seamless. Yeah. yeah. Because I actually don't worry about running the companies. I have other people that run them. Yeah. I run them. You know, it's all about meeting huddles. It's all about structure. Yeah. And these are things that, you know, I knew 25 years ago, I just never implemented. And I think that's the thing that I kind of go face palm all the time. It's like, <laughs> I wish I knew this stuff. Like, I wish well, I actually bothered. Learning. Like, I, I opened up, um, uh, I've never been a reader. And even my MBA, I, I did my entire MBA pretty much without reading. And, you know, I just became really good at referencing what I wanted because I knew what I needed to write about. And it wasn't until um, someone who I've gotten to know recently um, who is you know, under 30 years old and had tremendous success. And his success is not luck. It is purely perseverance and belief. And he is incredibly educated, the amount of reading he does. Mm. And he motiv- inspired me to read at our latest breakfast that we caught up. And I've been reading a book, almost a book and a half a week. And I think you know that our OCD, once we, once we, once we make a decision, we do it. But a combination of audio. So what I do is I listen to the audio book and then I listen, then I also read at the same time. And then I'm writing notes and I'm actually reading this stuff going, I teach this. Why on earth did no one tell me that this was in a book? Mm-hmm. And that's what my MBA taught me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, people always ask me, why did you go and do an MBA? You were already an adjunct professor at one university. And then you went and actually did an MBA. I said, I needed to know that what I had practiced my whole life, there was a theory behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I did, it gave me this 10% that I never had. Yeah. And now yeah. what that. Toby has shown me by reading is that I can just gain from all these other people. Mm-hmm. 
but really interesting. And there's, there, here comes a question. In your case, I don't know if you're a reader or not a reader, but if so, if you are a reader, which book or series of books have had the greatest influence on your life? Um, that's easy. As soon as you said that, the first one, and it's a long time ago. I was when I started the business, I was twenty-three, but I was reading Richard Branson's *Losing My Virginity*, <laughs> yeah. and that his whole theory has stuck with me even to now. Is that you look after your staff first, make sure that they're happy, engaged, have the tools of trade, you empower them. They will look after your clients, and the clients will love what you deliver because your staff love it, and the results profit shareholders that'll come so those three that's the way that I run my business I've got to look after the team first client second money third and the money you don't even have to worry about if you're doing the first two right the money just comes correct no I love it and is there any other book more recently um not recently I've been listening more to podcasts, I would yeah. say, more recently okay. than reading. But it's been a, it's, it's a real mix. I did a lot of reading around Jack Welsh too, and that's yep. around performance mm-hmm. um, and driving performance um, and having that accountability around performance. So I've done a lot of his reading as well. Um, but in recent times, it's, it actually comes from a whole lot of different areas. It doesn't necessarily come from business people. So I was listening to Lisa Wilkinson's podcast mm-hmm. the other day and her new book's about to come out. And so, you know, that's just from a completely different place. Um, so I think it's a real mix. It's immersion, isn't it, for Correct. you? It's the impression I get. You're continuously learning. You're continuously looking to... To, to, to just find that edge yeah. and that, that's what's really unique and interesting it's interesting people first was Branson's yes. approach I love Jim Collins' approach first who then what oh yes and that yeah. then kind of tables yes. it all yeah. um, and uh, I talk a lot about Jim Collins' work because I absolutely admire him I would love nothing more than the opportunity to become a Stanford graduate school professor at some stage in my life talking about something anything it doesn't matter what um no but actually doing some of the research that they've done is phenomenal we're almost out of time or we are out of time i've taken up so much of your time this morning um final question who if you you have one who is your business hero and that's anyone it could it could be your mum your dad it could be a famous person it could be anyone I honestly would say that I don't have a business hero as such because, mm-hmm. as we've discussed, I've, you know, I've had a couple of key mentors. So in my industry, Greg Savage is like the king of recruitment, right. um, and he was my um, very well. He was one of my first bosses. He he recruited me into the um, into the industry. I have learned a bucket load from him, and he's he's a very impressive. Uh, commercial straight shooter Um, so I've learned a lot from him Ross who was my old boss and then has become my business coach so he is my coach mentor and friend he would probably know me better than most people in my life so he's been uh, fabulous in terms of holding up that mirror he won't hesitate in giving me tough feedback um, but at the same time give me praise so it's nice to have someone who can do both Um, and then it's through the people that um, I've worked with and I'd say my team you know all the people who've worked for me over my years you know there's lots that I've learned about myself and leadership and other things through them and many of them continue to be great friends today as well so I think it's a mix Christian I don't think it's, there's one here it's really interesting I, I'm the same it's and I love the way you put that I ask that question to get that response most of the right. time is because I don't think we any one of us can attribute anything to just one person mm. 
because we are a combination of many different experiences. And I love the way you put that, but also the way that you, you, know, you could see it on, the, on your face that when you brought up, say, Greg and Ross's names, they had a, they've had an impact on yes. your life. And, and I think that, you know, if I was really asking the right question is who's had the most impact on your life? Um, but, you know, again, I don't like asking the right <laughs> question. I want to ask a question that evokes something else. Yes. Um, yeah. Nicole, I, I have, I, I cannot believe, that I just looked at my watch and I was like, wow, that went really fast. And I hope it, it's gone yes. really fast for our listeners too. But it's almost like there's so many takeaways from this that I couldn't possibly bring them all together in one final line. But I just want to say Thank you. Thank you for sharing your experiences with us. Thank you for taking the time to be here with me. I've learned um, some things about myself uh, from, from being here with you today. And I, I mean that truly. Um, you know, it just reaffirms for me why top achievers do what they do mm. and why we should model the masters more. You know, this concept of, you know, and a master doesn't mean someone who's way, way above you. You know, I'm always saying to people, find someone that you can relate to one tier above and be, be and learn more about them. Yes. Who do you admire? And people that have the same values as you, first and foremost. Don't go out on a tangent. Yes. And then find the next person and the next person and the, person, the next person. If I, and this is what I've learned more about this interview today with you. If I had to do anything differently again in my own career, I would do that better. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. I, I had, I've, you know, from I've been incredibly successful since a very young age, and failed miserably at maintaining it for a very long time because of this constant desire to be more, have more. Yeah, right. And one thing, listening to you, that level of grounding that you have, and that's what it is. It's grounding. The one thing, you know, hopefully not only people listening, but maybe if you get the opportunity to watch the video, you might see that even if you're watching, depending on which camera Alex has me on, <laughs> uh, my face is really like, I'm, I give away a lot in my face when I'm really comfortable. And that's the one thing that's impressed me. You've got an incredible amount of grounding. And that's, that's, that's a quality that I really admire. You know, you're very, you're very, you're very calming, which is kind of strange because I think that you're probably different to that uh, in business but Nicole thank you thank so you. much for taking the time today and um, yeah can't wait to launch the podcast series Thanks. with you in it appreciate Cheers. it Thanks thank you are you ready to start taking action on your business would you like to spend more time with your family then call 1300 623 and start building momentum right now I know you're busy. In fact, you are so busy that you don't have time to work on your business or yourself. Often tossing and turning at night, worrying about the how-tos and the cash flow. How on earth can you possibly get off the hamster wheel so that you can take a helicopter view to see where you'll be in 90 days, one year or three years from now? In this program, I will take you from sleepless nights to blissful sleep. You'll have more time with your family and you will have the clarity and direction so you can grow and flourish. Call 1300 643 229 now and start building momentum.